Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I am Carolyn Ford with my co-host, Mark Snell. Hey, Mark. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. So today we welcome Commander Jonathan White, Cloud and Data Branch Chief at the United States Coast Guard. And we are going to get Commander White's insights on the newly created C5I. Ooh, I should have asked, is it C5I or C5-1? It's C5I. And I can I can list out all the Cs. I have them here. So I was going <laughs> to, I always, I always joke there should add another C. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, and listen, you know, you we'll put that you in gave there. me a new, don't put that in there. It's in there. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in there when I answer you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, and I feel like there's so many acronyms. Mm-hmm. It's like speaking a different language when you come to the U S government and then they change the acronyms on you. That's right. But I digress. <laughs> Let me finish introducing you. commander. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk to you about C5I service center and how this will help support the Coast Guard in deploying capabilities better, faster, and more securely. Welcome to Tech Transforms, Commander White. How are you? Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Mark. I'm doing great. Good morning. Should and we call you Commander White or or, or should we call you something else? I, I'm rather informal. You can call me John or Jonathan. Okay. All right. Great. You know that's you know that's tough for old school people to you know be that it, informal, it, but we'll try. It it is, but you know I I I bring a a bit of a tech vibe to my workplace. I interface with enlisted members, warrant officers, junior officers all the time, and I I want them to feel safe and comfortable working with me. We, uh, now they call me commander. They call me Jonathan. No, no, no. They call me commander, but was, our, okay. our talks with each other are, are rather, uh, um, you know, they're, they're kind of, it's a flat architecture, right? I, I don't, uh, I don't work on a, in a daisy chain, right? Yeah. Yes. And we've, well, no, I'm not going to digress. I'm going to go to the first question that I want to ask you. <laughs> so John, <laughs> you work in the cloud and data branch office which lives in the newly created command, control, communication, computer, cyber, good night. There's where the, all the five eyes and intelligence, C5I, service center. So talk to us about what is that and what are the C5I service center's goals? Yeah, so I always joke that they're going to add another C eventually, right? I think there is a C6 out there. It's either combat or, or something <laughs> else. I don't know. But uh but yeah, the, the C5I Service Center is the Coast Guard's IT deployment mechanism, basically. We we do the technology uh, to design, build, deploy, maintain IT systems for the Coast Guard. We report to the CIO of the Coast Guard. Uh, we have an annual budget of approximately $900 million. And uh, we're, we're very much focused on bridging that gap between the very technical IT solution and the end user requirements and their experience. Uh, so we're, we're only like a couple steps away from, from people actually using that technology. Define end user for us. So end user would include the general public, 
we do have websites and other things that the public consumes from the Coast Guard. Uh, and specifically, a subset of that is the maritime transportation sector. And uh, we also have our DOD customers. We, we were interface with the Navy uh, directly. Um, in fact, we've become a, a part of the Navy during times of war and special circumstances. Uh, our DHS partners, uh, we work with CBP quite often, uh, mm -hmm. ICE and, and uh, INA. And, um, and then we also have our internal customers. So we have all the coasties that are out there uh, on, on board our cutters and uh, people at shore sites, the Intel community. Uh, the Coast Guard has 11 statutory missions, uh, which is absolutely incredible. Um, don't ask me to name them, but <laughs> you know, generally speaking, they fall into those big buckets, right? So there's law enforcement, there's uh, regulations and maritime security, uh, there's intelligence and, um, and, there, and oh, then yeah, lastly, wow. yeah, yeah, and then and then uh, lastly, we we also have our um, our marine protection as well. So I didn't oh, wow. realize that you like your end user would be me. So can I like book a trip with you? <laughs> well, let's let's say you wanted to become a merchant mariner, right? You wanted to sail the seas, right? Uh, you would actually apply for your license through the Coast Guard. Uh, so we maintain those registrations. Uh -oh. And also, if you had a, a, a boat or a vessel, you would register that vessel with the Coast Guard as well. So uh, and, and let's say you were to take a, that voyage and that trip, uh, you'd want to know as you drive out uh, to see whether or not there are any hazards uh, on the way. And uh, that is another service that we provide. If there's a, a, like a buoy off station or, or is that like a connection with FEMA? FEMA? Uh, it could be, yes. So we deploy yeah. uh, tandem with FEMA quite often, especially after a hurricane scenario, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the primary goal is you got to re, re, uh, sort of uh, reestablish your logistics supply chains, right? That's the, that's the big thing that gets knocked out with a hurricane, in addition to devastation for, for on land. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big, that's a big aspect of what we do. We, you know, we swoop in and you may, if you were here for 2005 for the hurricane Katrina uh, response, right. That was yeah. very much owned by the coast guard. Uh, Mr. Admiral Thad Allen. So, so you, you, you mentioned something here um, that I'd like to unpack a little bit. You said you are a few steps away from realizing kind of the uh, active deployment of uh, C5I. What what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is that the Coast Guard is a very small service. Uh, we have we have about fifty thousand members um, around the world, um, and our customer base is almost directly interfaced with the C5I service center. So we have sponsors for various applications throughout the Coast Guard, and uh, th those sponsors work directly with us. Uh, so there isn't. There isn't like a bureaucracy layer in between, for example. Yeah. Or there's 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 no abstraction between what I'm building and the customer that is receiving that. And we're actually shortening that chain even further as we move down a DevSecOps type movement. And we actually embed a customer in in the development team. Uh, that that's the next step for us. We're, we're pretty excited about that. Okay. When you say customer, we're going back to those users that I asked who your users are. Is that same? That That's correct. Now, <laughs> we may not bring a person in the general public in, but the representative agent, you know, internal agency mm -hmm. or, or component for that customer would be part of that journey. Yep. Okay. So what are the goals of C5I? 
so the, the goal is to design, build, and deploy and maintain IT systems. Uh, we have about a thousand members who do that. It's the split is roughly 400 military, 600 civilian. And we have a cadre of contractors who, who support us as well. Uh, and, and that really that, that goal is real to me, it's, it's realizing requirements, right? So we are given a set of requirements. We're given some money. We turn that into product <clears throat> and that product ostensibly meets, you know, mission, mission need. And, and, uh, and that then those customers use that product. So we've talked a little bit before, and you mentioned to Mark and I that you have two key areas you're focusing on right now. First area is on driving the Coast Guard into your newly built accredited AWS and Azure landing zones. And the second area is working with the new Office of Data and Analytics to design, buy, build, deploy, and integrate data um, and integrated data environment. Tell us more about how you will approach getting the Coast Guard into those landing zones. And for people like me, like explain landing zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not like a, a helicopter landing pad on top of a hospital, right? It's, <laughs> a, it's a, you know, I think we do that a lot, right? We, we, we build this physical manifestation of an IT concept because it's what we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, us nerds, we just talk in bits and bytes. So we don't, nobody really understands what we say anyway, but um no, I, I'm here to kind of translate that, right? So I understand the technical aspects, but I also understand how to be strategic and 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 sell a, sell a system, sell a product, right? And and what we're trying to achieve at the at the base level, what we're trying to achieve is a safe place, and I'll define that in a little bit, a safe place so that we can put IT workloads in the cloud, and reduce or minimize the amount of work it takes. To, to accredit that workload, okay? And, and so let me step, step back a couple steps with safe. Uh, so, right, the cloud environments are already rather safe. So if you look at the accreditations that both Azure and right. AWS have, they're both certified at the impact level five level. Um, they're very much, they're, they're catered specifically for government workloads. Um, but that's, that's your starting criteria, right? So you, Already, you meet hundreds of security controls just by choosing cloud. Uh, so what we do is we add the rest of those controls. Uh, there's a, it's a Department of Defense concept, but it's called the SCCA or Secure Cloud Computing Architecture, and it, it has two parts. One is the network security, and the other one is your managed services uh, security, and that would be like your uh, host-based security systems, your scanning tools, your reporting tools, things like that, logging tools. Yeah. And and I, I like to think of those things as like a blanket around your workloads that are in, in the cloud. And so what we do is basically you add all those security controls together. And when you deploy inside that environment, you only have a little bit left to to work on, right? Mainly those are application level security controls. Mm -hmm. And then you inherit all the all the rest, right? Oh, as long as you play by the rules, right? There are set rules here, right? You right. got to play by the rules in order oh, to inherit sure. security controls. But that's the idea. What's been the most challenging? It's a two part question. What's been the most challenging part of deploying out C five I? Oh, <laughs> there are so many challenges, right? Uh, I would my biggest challenge is complying with all the various rules and regulations that exist uh, in this yeah. space, right? 
if you and I always relate. Though, oh, go ahead, Carolyn. Yep. The the ones that you just mentioned, like the SECA, the all correct. Those, okay. <clears throat> Okay. Yep. So the SDCA and, and these impact levels, they all exist to feed a beast. And that beast is the risk management framework or the NIST 800 TAC 53. Those and are, they those, change. are they, those things yeah. change. They're also somewhat subjective. Um, so you have to uh, basically convince an approving official that you've met those security controls. There yeah. are hundreds of them. Uh, and and they're and it's it's a it's a journey, right? It's like a I believe it's a six step process, but Probably it's a never journey, ending right? journey. It's never ending. Right. It's in your constant and, and it, it's a constant handoff too. Right. So you're, you're selecting your controls, then you're convincing somebody that, that those selections are correct. Then you implement them. Then you convince another person that you implemented them correctly. Then you test them and you have to convince the testers that the test results are accurate. Right. And then you get to the AO and you say, AO, look at all this work I did. And of course they don't have time to read 600 pages worth of security controls. So it's really just a, you got my word for it kind of thing in some cases, right? That's typically what it boils down to. Or, or you have a targeted brief, which I just did one last yeah. week. Uh, you you brief on the subject and you basically the effectiveness of that briefer is whether or not you get approved or denied. Uh, I don't necessarily like anything about that. And there's a future here. And that future is called continuous ATO. It mm. takes all of that and it turns it into a machine driven process. And it's actually looking at artifacts produced from scanning tools and giving an automatic score and you don't pass go until you pass the score, you pass the test, right? That is the future. We have, everything has to go that way because uh, it takes the subjectiveness out of it, takes the handoffs yeah. out. And, and, it, and not only that, every time you deploy, you get re, re-accredited, right? It's, it's giving you your check yeah. marks every time you go. In the, in the traditional context, you get a three-year ATO. And I always laughed about this when I was going through this process is you – you basically accredit the system you built a year ago that's going to be alive for four years, that next three years, right? So you have a four-year window <laughs> that you could, you know, I think in the past, you could just get away with doing nothing uh, and and just let the system kind of rot over four years. Yeah, uh, That is gone with CATO, right? That's a big, that's a big deal. So it's a never-ending kind of cycle. Of, yeah, yeah, but how do you, I mean, sorry, yeah. it sounds like, like, millions of man hours to achieve this CAO. Absolutely. So how, what are you doing? How are you? So that, that goes back to the landing zone conversation. Um, so there's a second aspect, which we're deploying right now. It's called the software factory. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, it's kind of a weird term, but I, I call it just a CICD pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, uh, you accredit your CICD pipeline. That's your CATO process. And then you accredit the the landing zone for that pipeline, which is your cloud, and also you know obviously you need to run the, the workloads. So that could be your Kubernetes instance or your um, your VMs, right? But then what do you do? That that's the pipeline, right? Then you have the very very top, which is your application, which you're actually coding and and deploying. That gets a certificate to field. And so what what if this boils down to is if my pipeline's good. You're only going after a CTF, certificate of field. And that dramatically reduces the problem set. Uh, and that's what we're doing right your, now. We're and your ability to deploy out to your end users, right? That's correct. Yeah. So that's yeah. how you get speed to market, right? Uh, so if, if I can reduce your overhead um, 
to just that CTF aspect and you inherit and play by the rules, you know, down the line, then you, the benefit to you is speed to market. You get to the customer 10 hundred times faster. <laughs> I think you just answered the second part of my question, which is the more fun part. What is the most exciting part being a tech guy? What's the most exciting part of the delivery of that C5I? Yeah. So the most exciting part right now is we're, we're almost like building a, f- a flower, if you will, right? And that flower is still still kind of budding, but it's going to bloom. And yeah. that bloom is the enablement of that CTF action, right? And the bloom is modernizing mission applications that have been neglected for years. Mm-hmm. And I think once you once you feed the appetite for that, it's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be a, it's like the Superman roller coaster where it blasts you off into, into outer space. That's what I'm seeing is going to develop out of this. So if we do this correctly, uh, we will have this beautiful field of flowers, right? Where we are no longer held back by the legacy systems and the legacy mindset that, that is associated with those systems. Um, makes us nimble. It makes us look modern. Right. And and perception is reality. Right. So if you look like you're stagnant, you're stagnant, even if you are moving. Right. And and the perception of speed and meeting, meeting the end users experience expectations is what's exciting the most about me about this. Right. Is automation and AI a big part of that? Automation is. Yeah. So those pipelines are 100 percent automated. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we're going to, everything will be automated. Even, even your infrastructure build outs, everything gets automated, which is great because, and I, I said this in the past, um, I want to build our cloud environment so that I could come by and, and delete it. And then we could rebuild it in a matter of an hour. Right. And nobody's, nobody's sweat or getting nervous. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Obviously you want to back up your data, but I want <laughs> I want to repeat what I think you said the landing zones are. Is the landing zone that automated CDIC pipeline? So all those hundreds of security controls. I feel like I'm not getting this right. Once you move to those landing zones, like that CDIC pipeline just like plugs in. And then all you have to do is the fields certificate. What was the certificate again? Certificate of field. Certificate of field. Is that right? So the landing the landing zone is the the output of the pipeline is this certified application or container or whatever you want to call it. And that is placed into the landing zone. Is that your your terminology for like maybe what you've heard is ATO, Carolyn, like authority to operate or something like that? I think so. I still am not sure. So is the landing zone just the cloud? Sorry. Yes. That, yeah, that's just the cloud, right? Okay. And, and so that that would be, you know, in the in the simplest sense, that is Kubernetes running your container, Got it. which is your application layer, right? And then you might have a virtual private cloud or subscription, depending on which cloud you're in, which is hosting Lambda functions or events and data, S3 or Azure Data Lake or whatever other services that you're consuming to support that application, that combined is for that particular application, that landing zone. Um, 
it, it, it's a little neb. It's a little, like I said, this is a little nebulous, right? Cause you're trying to do a physical, it's a physical representation of a, of a computing construct. Uh, that's why I kind of like the blanket analogy a little better. It's it, the SDCA forms this blanket. You deploy inside the blanket. You're safe as long as you play by the rules uh, or as safe as you can be. And, yeah. and then you can, you can maneuver within that. And so these landing zones, what are they allowing you to do that before them you weren't able to do? Uh, okay. That's, that's interesting, right? So if you think about the on-prem deployment that we've, that we're coming from, everything is, is segmented by firewall zones and you mm -hmm. deploy into those firewall zones. And that's pretty much the amount of segregation you have between workloads in the cloud. Every workload is a micro-segmented thing, right? So it's, it's deny all by default. You deploy a virtual private cloud, nothing can talk to it. And so you open up access. Um, so the term for that is micro-segmentation. And that's really what our landing zone is doing is it's providing that uh, ability to create micro-segmented applications, mm -hmm. right? And those don't talk to each other unless you explicitly allow it to happen. So right now, if, and this goes to a security discussion, right? So today, if you were to comp successfully compromise a system in the Coast Guard network in, in a particular firewall zone, you, you could move east and west in that firewall zone pretty much unfettered, right? Um, and and that's, that's more of the defense in depth model where if, if I can pass all the barriers, then I'm in the middle there and I can kind of, you're not supposed to, but you know it's kind of a soft nucleus there. That doesn't. That's not how the cloud is is being architected, right? If you, if you were to compromise an asset in a landing zone in the cloud, you're stuck there, except for the very explicit communication permissions uh, that we've that we've enabled. And the the beauty of that is I can route all those comms through a scanning uh, tool or to an alerting tool, and identify anomalous behaviors. So let's say we were in the um, log4j instance, right? Mm -hmm. We got compromised. And then somebody tried to call out to the, the beacon in order to start the chain. Well, you could you would necessarily stop that right at the transit gateway in the cloud uh, because all traffic flows through that transit gateway. And, and we would censor that up with, hey, this app never talks to an LDAP server. Why is it talking to an LDAP server? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so you would kill it right there. Then the fun begins, right? This becomes incident response at that point. So you take so a I forensic like image. We're talking zero trust now. Yeah. We, we are talking zero trust. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and zero trust is not just humans to computers, right? It's also computers to computers. Uh, so there's defined API boundaries. There's keys like that need to be stored in a key vault somewhere. Um, and all those things help limit what we would call the blast radius, right? Something something gets mm -hmm. uh, compromised. It can only move in a, in a small area. And if it tries to move outside there, you, you probably set off some alarm bells. That's That's the goal at least, right? I have another question, Mark, but I'm being quiet, so you have a chance to ask. I can keep no, going. Let, going. Let her rip. You got it at top of mind. Let's go. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit, but I, I suspect this dovetails into what you're doing with C C5I. Um, what has been one of your favorite projects that you worked on within the Coast Guard? 
Yeah, so I haven't yet gotten a favorite project for the cloud since we're just starting to build that out. But coming soon, I'll have a favorite project in the cloud. But previous to the to my journey in the cloud, I actually spent four years down at our C3 center, um, which was a basically they, they built mission applications uh, for special purposes. Um, that's where we have our track management services, uh, CG1 view and the unclassified cop. I was on the Sea-Watch team and uh, we deployed a command and control and navigation system to the cutters out in the fleet. Uh, so I was I, at that point, I was one step away from my customer. I would directly interface with people on ships, elicit their requirements, build a system that met those requirements. Obviously, working through our headquarters component as well, and then deploying it to that very same customer, and and they would go out and do do mission. Right? It was a system they used every single day uh, while they were underway, because that's how they navigated the ship. And that's also how they manage the radar and track picture to figure out where to, uh, like if they're doing interdictions or whatever, they could vector into those, share that data with uh, third parties like DOD and, and DHS. And it was just, it was incredible to have that experience early on in my career. And uh, it's, it's my favorite project because I did full stack. So we designed, we built, we tested, we deployed, we sustained. I mean, I was I was down there logging, remotely logging into cutters while they were underway troubleshooting their systems. Did you get right? to get out on the cutters? Absolutely. Yeah, I did deployments right. for two years. Yeah, we would do like two a month or something like that. We'd I'd travel out. I went to all all sorts of places in the U.S. That's all. So as an it IT, is. so I don't know how this works in the Coast Guard, but as an IT guy. Do, are you like, do you not get to get out on the ships as much? You're, you're back home in the, in the <laughs> well, data center. Well, certainly in my current job, I, I don't, right? <laughs> all the, you get all your fun out of the way when you're a, a Lieutenant JG or Lieutenant, <laughs> right? An 03, 02, 03. You're, you're, the fun tails off. <laughs> you, be, you grow up, right? And they, they make you write PowerPoint presentations and do all that stuff, TPS yeah, reports, yeah. whatever. Uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm still having a blast in the Coast Guard. Well, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's that different. You build, will you move them into the cloud eventually, or are they like just? Yeah. So, so those systems will. We call them what we're calling them right now in our in our new branding is the tactical edge, mm -hmm. uh, and that's an on asset deployment of capability, and. What we're going to be moving towards is standardizing that tactical edge experience across all of our assets, which the cloud will enable, right? So I should be able to run my app through the software factory, get my check boxes, hit the deploy button, right? Ready to go. And it would be pushed down to all of my cutters, right? That's a totally different model than what we are currently operating on, you know, young Lieutenant White out there is going to be upset when he doesn't get to travel across the country all the time. But, uh, but you know, there's still, there's still, obviously there's physical devices on those assets. There's still going to need to be people who maintain those and upgrade them and everything else. But the idea is we want to standardize as much as possible. And this was a vision I had back when I was down at C3SEN. Why are we deploying three different, or four different compute clusters and storage clusters to, to, to manage each, each system has its own baggage, right? Its own hardware baggage. 
it, we were a little ahead of our time at that point because we were just starting, the, you know, the hyper-converged infrastructure was just starting to become a thing. Uh, virtual machines were still kind of like, oh, this is a desktop machine. It's not really a high-performance machine, right? Today, that's a completely different story, right? It is completely different. And, and we are definitely looking at that and saying, how can we leverage all this great technology that's basically powering the world right now? Put that on our cutters and then deploy on top of that our stack. If you do central deployment to all of your ships from the cloud, does that what does that do to security? So what that that that's shortening that life cycle, right? It feels Between like deployment. it's making it possible to let the Borg in. Let the Borg in? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's her reference to being a trekking. Yeah. So, I mean, you gotta, yeah. So this, this is where it gets a little weird. I agree. Right. So you, you, you're taking the human out of the loop, right. And you're, you're basically giving control over to the machines. Uh, I think we're just going to have to accept that and deal with that. Right. So you can't, you can't move at speed and at relevance without letting the Borg take over. However, you can put discrete rules and, thresholds around the Borg <laughs> so they, they don't interrupt operations, right? And that was a big thing for us. Don't deploy an update that's going to take down the system while somebody's cruising into, into port, right? That's a bad, that's bad news story. That doesn't, that makes the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there, there definitely needs to be rules and permissions and thresholds that, that take place when you start thinking about these mission critical systems. Um, that's, but that goes back to all those security controls that you were talking about earlier. It, it, exactly. And, and it comes down to how do I continuously comply with those security controls, mm -hmm. but still retain control? My, you know, human control, right? There's, there's a tug of war there. And that's, that's what I think you're referencing is, you know, I don't yeah. want to just go crazy here, but there needs to be some level of uh, autonomy in the system. Uh, in order to achieve the objectives we're looking for. So Jonathan, what role has industry or your, I guess, uh, your public partnerships played in this journey? They are absolutely critical to this journey. And and that's something I learned while I was at C3CEN. Um, you know, industry outreach to me is is top of mind. I, I want to know everything that's going on in all domains in the IT space. Uh, that's new technologies coming out things the DOD can't even use yet. Mm -hmm. Talking to, you know, talking about ready-made solutions, services, ways of doing business like ITIL and Agile and things like that. I, I've, I've basically made it a, a mission for me to maintain relevancy through industry. Uh, and, and cause that's, that's where the world's going. And, and part of being in this government role is balancing that future sales pitch yeah. with reality and making sure we don't chase, right? We don't want to chase a, a PowerPoint diagram, mm. uh, but we also don't want to move into irrelevancy where uh, I think we are right now in, in some respects, right? Where we didn't even move the needle. <laughs> and, and so we miss an opportunity, right? And, and that's where I see this. That's where cloud comes in to me. It builds that safe place where we can try things um, in a little bit. We can try a little bit. If we don't like it, we delete it and move on with our lives. We didn't invest in 
you know, millions of dollars of hardware or anything like that. And uh, it also lets us, uh, you know, compete solutions right next to each other. We can run parallel workloads and say, which one, which one works the best? That's got to be and one of the most exciting things about the industry we're in, right? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Where are and, you uh, on, your, on your landing zone journey, on your, the, the whole C5I journey? Or have you started so we, to deploy? We are building the accounts right now <laughs> to, build, to build our software factory. Uh, okay. And so our, our timeline right now is software factory, um, at least from a contractual standpoint, fully operational uh, by the end of May. Now, running actual workloads to that would probably be a few months mm -hmm. after that as we kind of grow into it and learn how to use it and, and build those rules, right? We got to build the rules. Uh, there's a huge, there's a socio-technical aspect to all this, right? How do I bring my organization to the table, right? I could deploy 10 software factories. Nobody's going to use them. <laughs> I right. need to force people into this journey, which there's there's some willing participants, right? Uh, but it's scary. And and we need to, you know, what I'm trying to do right now is build this comfort factor. Uh, I, I, I typically do that through knowledge. But uh, I want to build a comfort factor with, with our organization so that they know we're not just building something that is uh, vaporware, right? This is This is the thing. This is it. This is what's going to power the Coast Guard. That's a big tenet for me. That's a big vision that I put out there. Let me ask you this question about the software factories, because I don't, I don't, I don't know a, a ton about that. So a lot of different organizations are building software factories, like you, you talk about. Mm -hmm. Is there collaboration across organizations, like different software factories? Do they, I mean, is there is there communication there? I don't know. I just there is actually we we sent a team out to talk with the Navy software factory out in uh, San Diego. We we sent them out the end of February, and and yeah. it, it was an extremely valuable sharing of data of information. Uh, we the Army just did an open house for theirs. Uh, the Marine Corps just stood theirs up. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. I, you know what's what I think is going to happen is everybody's kind of liquored up now on the CI/CD pipeline aspect of software factories, right? That's because CATO is like the big thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think over time that's going to fade into the background as people, it's just, a, it's just, it's there, right? It works, which is where it needs to be, right? That that needs to be in the background. And what comes to the foreground is that exact thing you, you questioned, right? The collaboration piece. Mm -hmm. um, now, are our teams going to use each other's software factories to deploy to? Probably not. They're kind of self-serving, right? They, ours serves the Coast Guard. Right. Army serves the Army. But the teams building applications, especially when you start talking about uh, collaborative applications between services, uh, that's where this we need to build those partnerships now, so that when we're ready to to execute, it's not just the Coast Guard building an app. Maybe it's Coast Guard and CBP building a a, a joint application, and we're sharing yeah. we so data sharing just, agreements and everything yeah, else. Yeah, you're not just leveraging best practice that best practices, you're actually leveraging stuff that you're building. There are some things that you guys can share. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we canvas around, right? So we look at Kessel Run and, and, mm -hmm. and the things that they're doing. We, and there, there's, there's in the, in the race to be uh, awesome, right? There's, there's, <laughs> there's people leading people lagging. There's people all over the place. 
I, I'm actually pretty happy the Coast Guard's coming in a little late to this game because we can <laughs> we can surveil the terrain and say, okay, well, yeah. what what didn't work? Because uh, a lot, didn't, yeah, a lot didn't work, right? Well, and and we're taking the best. <laughs> so I would, can you give our listeners like your top two or three pieces of advice as they begin their own journeys? What have you found? Like maybe even the challenges and how you, I guess. I'll stop talking. Top three pieces of advice. <laughs> so, okay. Wow. All right. Um, the, the first thing I would say is get out of your box, right? If you're uncomfortable, you're doing something right. You know, start thinking about the future, learn something new, learn a new technology. And what I think you'll surprise yourself with is that it has, after you learn it, it becomes relevant to you. And maybe it solves a problem. And I've been on a lot of meetings lately when we talk about cloud and data and our infrastructure. And the people in the room, the feedback I get is, wow, I had 10 problems I had. And at the end of this meeting, you checked off all 10 boxes. That's and, great and that, advice. Yeah. yeah. So get out of your box. And, and that's actually kind of take that a little bit from uh, the recent book that was published, Hack Your Bureaucracy. Mm. It's, it's similar to that, uh, that mm -hmm. style of thinking. Um, and one of their recommendations was step outside, <laughs> talk, talk to people on the, this is for the veterans affairs, but talk to people outside the hospital and ask them like, what sucks about this hospital? Right. Right. And then take that feedback and, and, and change your, uh, change your business process. All right. The second one is the world revolves around money and you can't do anything without money. So if you're going to learn a skill learn how to advocate for, retain, and spend money. And if you don't know how to do that, you will not be successful. So can you write a quick book on that to share with our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> I put it in my queue. Uh, so to me, there's like three pillars in IT. There's the tech pillar. That's, that's kind of number one, right? There's contracting, which is the money aspect, budgeting and contracting. And then there's ATO, right? If you can if you can synergize all three of those, you're successful because they're all going to compete with you and they're all going to, to me, they're torpedoes, right? They're all going to torpedo your ship as your project moves along the journey. Um, and so you have to have active defenses for those things. You know, that's interesting. Change, that you that changes all the time. Budget and contracting changes all the time. And contracting, you know, is is they're they're antithetical sometimes to tech. I, I mean, I love I love our KOs, but there's a lot of rules, right? There's a ton of rules in the contracting world, uh, and if you don't understand, I I took a FAR training course, best course I ever took, because I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a KO and understand what they're saying. But um, I mean, how I mean, having been in this industry for so long. I've seen a lot of projects fail because of that, not being able to get the funding and stuff like that. So that, that's really interesting, but, but boy, I know it may, it matters to the Coast Guard, probably matters to your team and that, that whole, you know, the whole mission. That's correct. And I think the third one, as I'm thinking through these, the third one is manage your people, mm. right? Again, same with money, right? You're not going to execute anything without the, the proper people resources. And your people need to be trained, engaged, monitored. And by monitored, I mean pace them in their work, right? Don't like sit over their shoulder, don't micromanage them. But 
you need to you need to have a free flow of communication with your folks to say, are you busy? Are you too busy? Are you not busy? And and spread your tasking around, right? You know, I, when I first started this job, the first thing I did with my section leads. So I have I have I have uh, four sections in my legacy org structure. The first thing I did was I interviewed each one of them and I asked them. I made them do a SWAT table: strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And then I, at the end of our conversation, I said, tell me what you're not going to work on right now. Tell me what you're going to stop working on. Because what had, what had happened was there was an, there was an accumulation of, of work debt that was happening and people were getting drowned in minutia. Mm. And I said, pick your top three projects you focus on, complete those now. Then let's pick up the ones that we, we paused. And through by doing that, I was able to close out things that were in motion for two years. I closed them out within three months of showing up. And, and it was just, right. if I had not this done it, it would have been another two years. Go ahead, go ahead, Mark. great advice. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yes. We need to work. Yes. Stop, we need to stop working on this, right? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And, and, and a lot of it was just, just they were just, do, they were doing what they thought was the right thing to do. Right. But it's at the end of the day, when you right when you zoomed out on the organization, you realized that wasn't actually you know you doing that was not going to produce the outcome that the organization right. wanted. Right. Great pieces of advice. So get out of your box. Learn to advocate, retain, and spend money. Book coming later, and then manage your people. Understand that you know match the right resources to the right projects, and help balance the workload. Did I get it right? Great advice. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. All right, Mark, we get to, we have enough time for maybe a couple of tech talk questions and I will let you ask Jonathan the first one. Okay. Thanks, Carolyn. So Jonathan, I'm going to hit you with this one. Uh, so you're going to need to dig back into the memory banks. What was the very first piece of technology that you ever bought or received? Ooh. All right, let's go back. We're gonna hit the way back machine here in the early '90s, right? So I'm 38. <laughs> All right, so uh, me too. <laughs> you look great, Mark. <laughs> so uh, when I grew, when I was growing up, uh, my dad was in RF engineering. Uh, he worked for Ninex and Nextel. We lived in New York, uh, and and I never really understood what what he did. All I knew was that. Uh, every time we went into a car, he had an apparatus that was holding a brick phone and an antenna on the outside. And the first question I asked him when I kind of became aware of this was, why is the antenna on the outside of the car? <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, you know, you don't get reception because it doesn't work in the, bo- in the in the metal body box, right? And 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 this that was the technology of the day, right? That was like, woo, if you had you a phone out. call on a car, right? Cutting That's out. like... Uh, yeah, that's limousine worthy almost, right? But, but that's what I grew up with, right? I grew up with these cutting edge technologies. He was just, and he would just drive around and 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 measure cell site data, right? He would collect cell site data, and his job was to position the cell towers and and find the right spot to oh, cool. make coverage. Uh, and and that was where we were, and so that was really exciting. That was my exposure, right? Uh, but then simultaneous to that, we started. You know, he bought a couple computers. We had an IBM machine at some point, but the one that really captivated me was the, the Mac TV that we, that we bought. 
You remember that? Remember that uh, computer? It was a, it was yeah. all the rage, right? You could, hit, you could hit a key combo and it turned into a regular TV. You hit a key combo, you're back to Mac. I've used that until I was in high school. It was great. Uh, but I would, my first, I would say the first thing I received was internet. And it was from Prodigy. And we used to play, I used to play games and chat. And that was my portal to this, to a future. And I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, but the thing that that really captivated me the most was there was a game that was on CD. It was a 3D view of a, of the space shuttle. And you can go into the cockpit and you can, you know, kind of maneuver your way around and look at all the buttons and dials and stuff on the space shuttle. And that thing just captivated the crap out of me. And, and, and I think that's really what set the stage for me to be really interested in technology. You know, I built my first website when I was in a freshman in high school. You know, I learned how to program and I've never stopped since then. And, and, uh, I wouldn't want to do anything different. You know, I'm, I'm actually, my education is electrical engineering. Uh, but I've self-taught myself technology and, and that's, uh, it all started in that sort of that that initial journey of here. Here's a computer. Play with it. Here's a game. Figure it out, right? And and that's uh, and that, uh, what I'm really excited about is I'm kind of seeing that again happening today with artificial intelligence. It is going to fundamentally like the the new GPTs and and, the, and those types of things fundamentally change the way we interact with computers. Fundamentally change it. I think it's it's as as dramatic as the mouse was, in terms of how you interact with a machine. We're just yeah. at the cusp of this journey, and it's I I I hate artificial intelligence. Okay, until two months ago, and then I then I saw I saw the I saw the vision. What? Right? How? I started using ChatGPT and, really? and uh, ChatGPT has got you all in on AI. Yes, because wow. it it has it because the interface the the transaction was no longer it's no longer in the background from so AI like machine learning fundamentally is signal processing, uh, and it was it's very mathematical and it's it's very rigid, right? This was the first time I've ever used AI that was fluid. It produced a result that I was finding acceptable <laughs> and it spoke to me, right? And and you know, not not in a weird sense where it's like taking over the world, but it yeah. it's a it's a it's a way and I, I actually listened to a podcast recently about um you know, where's this AI going? Is it, and then I think it it is actually going to be your your digital partner, right? In, in your journey. And so wherever you go, just as much as you take your cell phone everywhere, you're going to take your, your own digital partner and you will be able to interact with that partner and basically augment all the things that you do right now where you're like tapping away. Right. And you're, you're setting up meetings and you're sending emails and you're kind of figuring out what to do for today. Like I think Mark, you know, to be honest, I'm not selling the product here, but I think Microsoft kind of gets it too. Right. I want to log in. And I, I open my Outlook, and the only thing I see is a summary of all the unread emails that I have, and the highlight of the ones that seem relevant to me. Mm -hmm. I can click on that, and then I can basically say, okay, whether you dictate it or you type it, right? Um, here's the kind of general response I want to give. Go, send it. Boom, right? So 90% of emails you give, you don't really have to put much thought into it. It's kind of just a request response kind of thing. 
And the 10% that actually matter are the ones where you have to actually think about and, and, and respond. I want those to be surfaced, right? And as I work with my digital partner, I wanted to just learn how I do work, right? Yeah. And that's the fundamental difference that I've seen with ChatGPT. It actually learns, it, 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 it builds sort of a persona of you. It can build a persona of you. I don't think we're just there just yet, but you know, you can kind of take your own personal AI with you. And that, yeah. I think it, it has unlocked that aspect. That's I, a great uh, answer. I found yeah. it to be a really useful brainstorming tool, but I'll tell Mark will appreciate this. Like I ask it questions sometimes and it's like, I need to caution you that Dr. Strange is not a real person. <laughs> Cause I'll ask, it to, I'll ask it to compare technology to like, whatever superheroes on my mind. Let me <laughs> caution you. This is a fantasy thing that you're trying to compare to a real thing. And I'm like, just do it. So it's Jarvis. <laughs> it's Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's about as close to Jarvis as we've ever come. Yeah. Right? Really? We, we, fake, we'll we fake it. We faked oh, we it with like Siri and Alexa and stuff. Those were, those were fakes, right? Yeah. This, this is different. No offense yeah. to those products. I think they, they're great. But it's if you've ever done um, or understood how video games are developed, right? It's, it's, it's all faking stuff. You're faking physics. You're faking. Right. You're, you're rendering like low poly in the distance and high poly in the foreground just to keep it running, right? That's, that's what previous generations of AI were. It's just faking it to kind of make this illusion of AI. That's why I hated it. This is different <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, I just have this feeling that this is diff this is different, right? All right. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much today, Commander White, for joining us. Um, a lot of really good things to think about. I I really feel like we're going to have to have you on for round two just to talk about the book that you're writing. Um, <laughs> no pressure, but we all want that book. Um, <laughs> and thanks to our listeners for joining us today on Tech Transforms. Share this episode and smash that like button. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 